Welcome to the Retiring Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we will discuss how to defer taxes on the sale of your property, earning passive real estate income, and everything you need to know to go from active investor to passive investor. Join us as we interview passive investment sponsors, explore the journey of other retiring real estate investors, and share our due diligence process we perform to select passive investments. Investment advisory services provided by Insight Investment Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor. This podcast is only intended for clients and interested investors residing in the states in which we are registered to provide investment advisory services or exempt from registration. Please contact us to determine if the firm provides investment advisory services in the state where you reside. All content on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Material presented is believed to be reliable sources, and no representations are made by our firm as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. Insight Investment Advisors LLC and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing herein should be construed as such. Always consult with your tax advisor or attorney regarding your specific circumstances. Wonderful. Welcome again to another episode of the Retired Real Estate Investor. I have Josh Wright a host. I'm Brandon Bruckman, a host. We are the hosts of this podcast. And today it's it's us. Are you excited about that, Josh? Um, I'm so excited. I can barely stand it. <laughs> That's why he can't stand. He's sitting. He's too excited. <laughs> so this, a continuation, we want to continue to talk about Delaware Statutory Trust. Uh, last time we talked about what it is. We walked everyone through what that is. Today we're going to talk about why, what's so advantageous about about the DST. And so I'm going to prompt you a little bit, Josh. So I think number one, why this thing is exciting is it's 1031 exchange eligible. You can use it as replacement property. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the biggest problem a lot of real estate investors have on 1031 exchanges is they can't find that replacement property. And not even just people who want to go passive, but people looking for their own properties struggle to find them, particularly within the time frame that's allowed for a 1031 exchange you know you you close on your sale you have 45 days to identify six months to actually close on the replacement property you know unless you're starting really early before you close on your own property um there's some real tight timeline there to try and fill yeah we talk about it is certainly eligible for that but then the availability of those of that asset i think becomes one of the most surprising aspects to our our project uh, potential clients is okay well how do we get these dsts well they're waiting for you they're they're there on your timeline um and we can invest the exact amount that you need to invest into that dst and to really have a frankly a more simple way to complete the exchange can't be any easier than that ready-made investments waiting for you as opposed to you trying to find a replacement property in many cases, I mean, I find that we're not even that concerned about the timeline. Like we're making decisions so quickly that we're right close before 45 days even happens. Um, so that is definitely item number one. And it's interesting, even because even though it is viewed as this is fractional real estate, and then we'll use that as our next benefit, but still viewed as a replacement property by the IRS, even though you fractionally own this thing. Um, you don't own it outright. The IRS still looks at that as as individual ownership or as ownership of that asset, which is awesome. Let's talk about that other aspect too that I marked down as an advantage is fractional ownership. So you don't own the whole thing, but what does that fractional ownership allow 
the investor to do, Josh? Oh man, there's a lot of advantages to fractional ownership. I mean, number one, you're going to be able to invest into properties that you never could have done on your own. You're able to invest into property types that you might not have been able to get on your own. Um, not to mention if there's debt on the DST, you're able to cover your debt and not have it be recourse to you any longer. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the biggest advantage is just getting access to the properties that you never could have done by yourself. Mm-hmm. And these are big properties we're talking about. I think the latest manufacturing um, industrial DST deal we're looking at was something of the, the nature of $230 million in the total deal size. Um, if I'm coming out of a property with a million or $5 million, there's absolutely no way I could acquire an asset of, of that size. And our, and our hope there is that in acquiring those assets, we also have some level of safety that we're acquiring sort of what, what's referred to as institutional quality, making quote fingers for those listening. So our institutional quality assets that, um, that you can acquire in this, in this space with as little as, as a hundred thousand dollars to be a fractional owner there, um, in that, in that asset. As you said, Josh, just something you you just can't can't do. Mm-hmm. Other advantages you mentioned the non. I want to get to it later, but you mentioned it, so let's talk about it. The non recourse debt option. Can you talk a little bit about? You're very familiar with this. The precursor to the Delaware Statutory Trust is the tenant and common agreement, where non recourse to debt isn't an option. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah, I ran into this um, in my own family when my father went to sell one of his properties um, early in his career. He wasn't ready to retire. He was still probably 10 years out of retirement, but he had an unsolicited offer pop up for one of his hotels. He didn't want to have to exchange, buy another property, staff it up, manage it. And he essentially just looked at me and said, go solve that problem. And I tried to explain to him, that's not what I do. Um, and he said, I don't care, go figure it out. And that kind of led me down this path. And when I started to explore what were his options at the time, this was pre-DST, it was all tenant and common structures. And when I dug under the hood on those, I found, frankly, good real estate. It was just the structure. One of the biggest problems being the debt side being recourse, meaning you know, if it, if it was him and 10 other investors going into a tenant in common deal, everybody had to post collateral. Everybody had to put up money um, and qualify for that debt, which also meant if the property didn't perform, they were all on the hook for whatever happened with that property. Now, imagine that if you're going into a passive deal, so you're not managing it, you're not making all the decisions yet, you're liable for whatever happens. It's, it's kind of a tough spot to be in and he did not like that. Um, not to mention, if it didn't perform, you could get cash calls and a number of other things happening. So DSTs have, by law, non-recourse debt. And everything is structured prior to that DST being offered to the public. It's, it's a huge advantage to be able for us, a huge advantage for us and for the client to know if we look at a DST, we like that deal, we think it's a good deal for investors, we know exactly what the debt looks like. It's automatically going to be non-recourse debt to, to our clients. So even if you had debt on the property you sold, it's no longer your debt. It belongs to the DST, to the trust, not you. You've now removed that headache, so to speak. But we also are able to get enough leverage to help qualify your exchange. 
Um, I think it's a huge advantage for DSCs. It's a huge risk mitigation point there as well. Um, when you talk about the tenant in common agreement and the recourse on the debt, and then your inability to make decisions associated with it, it doesn't sound very passive anymore. It sounds mm -hmm. it sounds semi-active in what you're doing there. So we're we're losing the advantages of or what we're trying to do. What are we trying to do for for our clients is to really take them into as the podcast title alludes to, we're helping them retire. And then to be continuing to be active is not what we find most clients are looking for. They're looking for non-activity. The activity they're looking for involves Mai Tais and beaches and golf courses. It doesn't involve worrying about capital calls on debt and things of that nature that, that go poorly. It's, that's a, that's a bad fit. So hence what I do, I do want to say, by the way, that, yeah. um, just for full disclosure, there are tenant and common structures today that have non-recourse debt. Um, so they do exist. They're not, not as common, obviously, as a DST. And there's a whole, there's a whole nother conversation to talk about tenant and common structures and where those fit or don't fit. But certainly the non-recourse debt built into a DST is a huge advantage. More non-recourse debt, please. Where do we, where do we find it? I would, <laughs> Absolutely. I'd like as much of it as possible. Um, we've alluded to a little bit the sizing of the investment you're making here that we're able to have fractional ownership, which allows us to acquire <clears throat> a much larger property than we'd be able to do on our own. Talk a little bit about our ability then to diversify and what can you do with a million dollars in capital here that, that you probably couldn't do on your own. Yeah. So with the low minimums on a DST, so hundred thousand dollar minimum, we can build a portfolio of real estate for a client. And again, I'll use my, my father as the great example here. He owned, uh, was in the hotel business. He owned what I would call roadside motels throughout the state of Kansas, two lane highway motels, um, loaded up in one property type, all very economic cycle resistant. So he had years where he made lots of money and things were great. And then the economy in the state of Kansas would turn down. He would go from running 70 plus percent occupancies a night to 20 and 30 percent occupancies a night and literally overnight he couldn't pay the bills and as a kid i could never understand that um as an adult in the real estate business i completely get it um if your occupancies drop 50 percent and they sit there for a year like that it, you're not going to be able to pay the bills it's going to be a tough spot to be in right so when he rolled out of hotels and we see this a lot when we have clients coming out of possibly heavily loaded into one property or one property type or one city or one geographic location, going to DSTs now, we can diversify them, truly diversify them. We can build them different property types. We can spread them geographically across the country. Um, and it's a huge advantage of DST. I mean, frankly, the fact that we have a lot of DSTs at any moment in time, we have an approved a list of deals that we have available for our clients. It allows us to build this out for them. And in my view, we're lowering risk, frankly, um, mm -hmm. for the client. So huge advantage. We're, we sort we sort of talked about it last episode, but obviously this isn't a REIT that we're talking about, but you can kind of play this game where you can build your own REIT. It's a build your own REIT story, build your own portfolio here of these assets. And exactly as you said, you can diversify these across asset types. And that's a huge advantage we're not we haven't talked about either is you can sort of look at these from a variety of different asset types most of it is multifamily, 
newer multifamily, stabilized multifamily, but there's a whole section of other bucket. It's got storage in it, industrial in it, office, retail, sort of any flavor of real estate that you want is available to, to investors here. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a huge advantage to that. Um, a lot of different property types. And I feel like one of the reasons we talk to clients and, and ask a lot of questions to clients about what the rest of their financial picture looks like, what does the rest of your real estate portfolio look like? You know, we can kind of build portfolios that will complement that or, or help them diversify. I mean, it's really common for me to run across, run, excuse me, run across clients who are just loaded up in one type of property. And, you know, yes, we are plan for the worst case scenario type of planners, right? We want to think through what's the worst thing that could happen. Building in that diversity just makes a huge positive move, I think, for clients, period. 100%. 100%. Another aspect I wanted to hit that I think is an advantage as well here is I think I get asked often, like, are these your deals? Like, are you going to acquire the property? The answer is no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, there's a network of what we refer to as sponsors, the companies that are organizing and prepackaging these deals for investment. I think that's an advantage to have, and we'll do the vetting on these companies as well as a starting point before we look at their deals. Most of these companies have great track records of doing this business and selecting these real estate assets and acquiring them and being able to exit them. Talk about a little bit, Josh, about what you see on the, the sponsor side of why that's sort of a helpful, a helpful person to sort of bring into this equation. Sure. Well, first of all, us using other sponsors, it helps us remove conflicts of interest, right? If, if we're doing our own deals, and we're taking all our clients to our own deals. We have a whole lot of conflicts of interest. Um, it's not to say we couldn't have good deals or any sponsor can't, but for us, our primary focus is helping our clients execute their exchange, qualify that exchange and finding the best deals we can to fit their situation, right? So, you know, having these number of sponsors for us, expanding the breadth of sponsors we can access, the property types, you know, the deals essentially, huge advantage to clients. Um, you know, ultimately we sit between our client and these sponsors and we kind of put our own reputation on the line that we're doing proper due diligence. We're, we're kind of filtering out the junk from, from what we think are decent deals and good deals and better deals. Um, so huge advantage for us to expand and have a large pool of sponsors we draw from. And frankly, from the sponsor side, they they're in this business right if they do poor deals they're not going to be in the business long right their incentive is to put out deals that work and, and take good care of clients otherwise they're going to go out of business from our side of the of the you know table we need to filter these we need to do good due diligence and find the best deals period for clients and we need to have as many options as we can to fit those scenarios because every client we work with you know you've got different things you need in your life. You know, maybe it's cash flow, maybe it's it's high leverage and, and you're coming out of a deal and we gotta find something high leverage for you. Maybe we need to think about liquidity concerns down the road, whatever it is. Um, the more deals we have available that look different with different kind of outcomes and goals, the better we can fit them to our clients. 100%, and there's about 
40 sponsors, give or take, depends on what day it is, um, in the DST space active. Um, the majority of those probably might not be around, say it five years from now, 10 years from now. There's a stable that have been very active and have, have lasted throughout the course of this industry. Um, we like them a little bit better. Our preference is there, but man, do we want to look at everything? And we're picky. We're a little choosy. We're a bit more choosy than, frankly, somebody else that might be sitting in our seat <laughs> and might be showing some of these deals. We're a bit more choosy about what we choose to show. Um, and it, it is striking a bit of a balance, I think, for us between making sure we yeah. have enough investments available and um, doing that due diligence and filtering out the items that, that we just don't think investors um, may not have as great a chance of at least return of capital, much less the return on sponsors, capital. Sponsors love us or hate us. And it, it, it's driven <laughs> a lot <laughs> by, we ask a lot of questions. And I feel like, I feel like they're questions that everybody should ask, frankly. Um, but, you know, some sponsors, they, they're happy to have all that conversation and have all that data ready for you. Some are happy to give it, but maybe they're not ready for it. But if there's a sponsor that hesitates to answer all those questions, it's usually a red flag for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. And something else you made me think of, by the way, that's probably interesting to mention is, you know, there's probably, like Brandon said, 40 or 50 sponsors out there right now. And that number will go up and down depending on what's happening in the real estate market. It's really common in a hot real estate market to see a bunch of firms jumping into the DST space. You know, maybe they've done private real estate deals or private cash only syndications for many, many years. And maybe they have a great track record and they decide to jump into the DST space because demand's high. Very common. Sometimes that's good, sometimes it's bad. You know, it's fine if they understand the DST structure itself and sometimes sponsors don't and that's that's been a problem the other thing you'll see happen is if the real estate market gets not as hot if, if it starts to come down or pull back for a while you'll see a bunch of sponsors jump out of the space and i've had clients ask me questions with a little confusion so did did their deals blow up because they got out of the space and the answer is no each deal exists on its own. It doesn't matter if the sponsor decides to stay a sponsor in the DST marketplace or not. The deal exists on its own, right? So you gotta gotta separate whether a sponsor is active or not active in this space. 2008 was a perfect example because pre-2008, there was dozens of, of sponsors in the DST space. Post-08, it shrunk quite a bit. Six, seven, eight, nine sponsors, something like that. And it's not four. because- <laughs> yeah, maybe even less. And it's not because they blew up. It's not because they went bankrupt. It's just simply they decided that business was not a business they wanted to be in. And they stopped offering new deals inside of DSC structures. Um, and again, we're in a market now. Or, or I mean, we could have a discussion about where the market is now. But certainly the real estate market has been hot the last three, four or five years, particularly from an institutional perspective. And we've seen more and more smaller real estate shops jumping into the DST space, which I think is a positive thing, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, we wanna see more deals and find great deals for clients, period. Um, mm -hmm. It takes definitely more vetting of a smaller sponsor for us to get comfortable with them, but I still think it's a positive thing. Yeah, more the better. We wanna look at everything that comes to this space um, and evaluate deals and sponsors on their merit, period. Um, so we definitely don't want to exclude those folks. And we are not allowed today to have a conversation about the current state of the real estate market. That's outside the scope of bounds of this, <laughs> this 
podcast. We will not do that. Understood. Instead, Understood. Busted. Nope. Stop. I put the curves on you. No more. Here's here's what I want to do though. Let's summarize. So again, advantages of DST. I'll list one and then you list one. We'll see if we can exhaust them all. One, I'll go first. 1031 exchange eligible as replacement property. Your turn. Diversification. Small minimums. Non-recourse debt. <laughs> Put me on the spot, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did this until <laughs> uh, Passive. Completely passive investment. I'm going to cheat. Institutional grade assets. Does that count in yours when you talk about Size and diversification? No, I'll I'll take that. Institutional grade assets there. That's mine. Hmm. Hmm. I'm totally um, cheating. Yeah, you're cheating. You're looking at a oh, list. 100%. <laughs> of course I'm cheating. <laughs> Try to think of another one. Got nothing. I got, got nothing. nothing. I think we missed... Two, what so I'll we, say the last two. one. And I, I do think a solid sponsor relationship is is a huge advantage there of having someone else with with experience there acquiring, managing, and then helping on disposition of that asset is a big advantage. And then we didn't talk about we talk about the ten thirty one exchange and the tax benefits of the DST. I don't think we talk we didn't talk about the ongoing tax benefits. The DST is taxed just like you own the real estate, like you have been all the time. In fact. After you get through the 1031 exchange and you're you're into the DSTs, I think your CPA is going to like you a lot because you're going to send them a very consolidated statement in form of financials coming from the sponsor. Um, and it's business as usual on your taxes. Um, depreciation schedule carries forward. Same treatment as you would have owning real estate outright, which which I think is a huge advantage. We forgot to mention, um, but that's a darn good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that question comes up a lot with clients, actually. You know, how is the income treated from a tax perspective from a DST? What other benefits am I going to get from a tax perspective? And I always tell clients it's exactly the same as what you have now. All the normal real estate benefits you're still going to get. Depreciation pass through, mortgage interest pass through, write-offs pass through, but tax reporting is much, much simpler. Um, mm -hmm. Much simpler way to go. Certainly a benefit. Waiting for my Christmas gifts from CPAs. I haven't seen any yet, but you know, maybe maybe this is maybe this is the year. All right, everyone, that's advantage of the DSTs. Josh, thank you for for joining and hosting, and and thank you for wearing that shirt. It's beautiful in every single way possible. <laughs> I really love it's it. Hawaiian now. shirt season. It's Hawaiian shirt season. season. Yeah, yeah, it's getting nice Man, out. I'm excited. I'm a little yeah. early to the game, but I'm just gonna keep it going. Somebody's <laughs> got to do it. Might as well be me. We got to channel that good weather energy for, 